1: All right. Hey, everybody. Welcome to this one day prior to Thanksgiving episode of The Compliance Guy. As always, I want to begin my saying, thank you all so much for tuning in, logging on, and just hanging out with me and my special guest for a little while. As we get to talk about all things compliance and health law. So today I am joined by a very good friend. His name is Colin uh, Callahan Callahan of Flannery Grigalis. And you may be saying, how is he such a good friend if you just couldn't even get his last name pronounced? Well, you try saying Colin Callahan without stumbling over that a few times. But Colin's a great guy. Um, I've had a chance to work with him on some cases. Uh, I get an opportunity to consult with him uh, when I need counsel uh regarding uh criminal and or civil uh matters that i am dealing with and just all around he's a good guy man he's a lot of fun to talk to a lot of fun to hang out with and uh with that said colin thanks for uh hanging out with me and our uh listeners the day before thanksgiving when i know you have so many other things that you could be doing
2: Uh, it's a a pleasure happy to talk with you and uh, you know, as long as I get a chance to start making some cranberries here this afternoon, uh, I'll I'll be in good shape here. <laughs> oh, the cranberries! You know,
1: just do it the way my daughter does it. Go and get yourself a can of cranberries, open it up, stick it in a plate, and smash it up, and nobody will know any better. Or slice it up, and everybody will think you're a hero.
2: Nothing wrong with that. I, you know, I I, I straddle the canned cranberry uh, versus homemade cranberry divide because i i eat both happily but there's got to be cranberry sean that's all i'm saying
1: i hear you man i hear you you know it's actually interesting see you get me off on these tangents and you know it's funny last night we were at the store for those of you that live in the south you're familiar with a store called Publix. and joe and i had just come from the farm and neither one of us was in a mood to cook anything which is shameful because our freezers are stocked and Man. she said what do you want to do for dinner and i thought to myself well let's just go get a sandwich made and um walked over and they actually had a boar's head uh, oven gold roasted turkey sandwich with cranberry sauce and all the accoutrements that go with it so see you got me you got me thinking about sandwiches colin
2: you already you've already started your thanksgiving week that's fantastic i have
1: i have so all right so let's get serious because you know i started a series last week talking about being a subject matter expert on the podcast right and it's actually gotten some really uh awesome feedback people talking about you know can you make recommendations on you know how i should write my cv you know what should i look for how should i put it together and you know i i started thinking about it and i'm going to record a podcast here coming up in the next you know week or so uh, about cvs and resumes from a subject matter experts perspective but i wanted to get you on here as a former prosecutor as a current white collar criminal defense attorney who also does civil work And I wanted to talk about what you as a prosecutor, as a defense counsel look for in experts. And I have, you know, a bunch of other questions for you that I want to go through. But let's let's start there, Colin, because I I know it's it's a generic question and you have to put a lot of time, effort, energy, thought process into determining one do you want an expert in a case? And two, if you do, what kind of experts and, and what are you looking for? So let me, let me pause there. And let me give you an opportunity to kind of hit on that question.
2: Sure, yeah. You know, I, I think in kind of modern litigation generally, whether it's criminal or civil, experts are just, are just really crucial, right? And, and if you do the kind of stuff that you and I do, in the healthcare world, that's even more true. Uh, because if you're prepping for a trial, you know, trials are exercises in telling stories and communicating as clearly and succinctly as you can to whoever your audience is, whether that's a jury, whether that's a judge in a bench trial, whatever the case may be. And so I think of experts as really important ways that you can tell your story you know, at, at its most kind of fundamental level and so you know that really kind of informs everything for me that's such a great way to
1: play it right i you know i'm sure i've thought about that in the back of my head and you know it's it's one of those like where somebody says that what you just said which is trials are all about telling a story right and it's about painting a clear picture for jurors and or if it's a bench trial a judge and putting forward the most credible facts right the the most credible story for them to be able to come to a determination as to whether or not somebody is guilty or innocent but just hearing you say that Trials are all about telling stories. It it just, that really resonates with me.
2: Well, and and, you know, it's no big surprise, right, Sean? I mean, this is one of the reasons why you in particular are such a great expert witness. You're a natural storyteller. You're a natural talker. Uh, You know, you are just an outstanding communicator. And you know, by that I don't necessarily mean, although you've got a great CV and you've got impeccable credentials and you know the stuff inside and out. You know, you're able to translate complicated ideas or, you know, regulatory regimes or rules or ideas that are complex in a way that normal lay people can understand. Right. And so in terms of you know what I actually am looking for in an expert, you know, the Vita has to be there, you know, it has to reach a certain threshold. Uh, for sure. And so, you know, everybody should definitely be listening in on, you know, your future podcast as you talk about how to build that and to avoid creating problems and to make yourself sort of as attractive as you can, uh, if you're thinking about serving in that kind of a role going forward. But to me, that's, you know, it's, do you cross the relevant threshold from a uh, credential standpoint? Great, got to do that. But now you're just sort of in, you're in the mix. And, and I can't really get down to the stuff that I actually care about. And I think that's an interesting sort of list for me. Um, you know, you gotta be able to translate those concepts. So, you know, as I'm sitting down with somebody, I want to be able to sort of hear them do that. Um, you know, that's probably the most important thing. Um, you know, sometimes the people that are the best at that are already established professional witnesses. Uh, and that's great if you find that person and the right fit for your case. I will say I've found really good experts, sometimes by necessity, in circumstances where there wasn't an obvious stable of people on the issues that I needed. And, right. you know, that that's sometimes where as a lawyer, it's a little scary, but there's also real opportunities because you can outwork now, at least in, in this life, the government because they don't necessarily have the perfect stable of experts on the other side either. And so all of a sudden you're developing people, you know, maybe from academia, from more of a clinical setting or the like, uh, and that, that can be very interesting. I've had good luck with, um, you know, folks from academic positions in the past who had not previously really been expert witnesses. And, you know, that actually, um, if you can get them prepped up right, Um, creates some interesting dynamics and diffuses some of the attacks that you would typically see on on a cross-examination of your expert. Um, So I think, you know, that can be interesting. And then, you know, another thing that I always add that I I think sometimes people don't think about enough, um, two things really. One, I want an expert who is going to be able to be creative with me and think through the best way to present information. But I also want an expert who's going to tell me very clearly that idea doesn't work. I don't agree with that. I would never say that. So I want somebody that has sort of that willingness to hit the brakes where, you know, me, the educated lawyer, but not the expert myself, is, you know, unintentionally going into an area that doesn't play, right? That's okay. I want to be told that. I don't want to, you know, put something out there that is weak or that isn't good. And then the last thing, um, you know, I think fit for the community in which you're you're doing your storytelling in. You know, I I practice uh, out of Pittsburgh, and yep. uh, you know I, I practice all over the country, but I'm based here in Pittsburgh, which is where I'm from. I love it. Everybody should come here immediately. Eat sandwiches with French fries on them. Uh, <laughs> put, put some money in our economy. But you know we're a bit of a parochial town, and so right. you know when when I'm getting ready. For a trial here, where you know a bunch of folks from the sort of western district of Pennsylvania, let's say, are going to be my jurors, I got to think through. You know, do I want the guy? I'll pick on California a little bit here, right? Do I want the guy with the really, really, really top-notch uh, CV, very good communicator, who you know thinks he needs a passport when he has to leave, you know, San Francisco? uh you know or do I want the person who is also a good communicator maybe the CV isn't quite as fancy, uh, but who you know is from you know the middle of the country somewhere if you know if not Pittsburgh right so
1: yeah and, and that all makes sense right because obviously you have to think about um you have to think about your jury selection, your jury pool right you, you know you have to think about, the judges in the case if it's a a bench trial right and what's going to play to them um you know you know for me over the years um being a testifying expert i have learned that it is really truly an art right there's nothing scientific to it it's Studying the demographics of the area to where you're being asked to come in to testify, understanding the the makeup of that area, understanding, you know, the the median uh, salaries, understanding, you know, if it's truly a blue collar town versus, you know, uh, an area like Silicon Valley where, you Mm -hmm. know, it's more white collar. Um, Because again, for me, that helps me to determine more or less, you know, I don't want to say my personality because people are going to think I have split personality disorder, <laughs> but but it, it, in, in a way, it it does, right? You know, I know that certain things that I can say if I'm in a courtroom in Massachusetts or New York or D.C., certain things will play in those courts and certain things that i say or certain mannerisms that i have will endear me if you will as a witness to the judge and or the jurors but the things that i use there i can't use in pittsburgh mm-hmm. in a, a, a steel workers town in a, in a blue collar working town so my temperament has to be toned down my approach to how i explain things has to be a little bit different and you know my my explanation of facts as you know as as a subject matter expert have to be you know more more narrow right so that i don't lose these these folks as i'm going through it and and that's not a shot as to the populations it's this is just the reality as to you know where you're going you know where you're going into there was i'm trying to remember the name of a movie from a long time ago it was with gene hackman um and john cusack and they were um you know uh, uh hackman was this uh high powered uh you know consultant that was retained by these attorneys to um, help them pick the right juries so they can win right and uh, Cusack and you know I think his girlfriend just threw an entire monkey wrench into the whole thing can't think of the name in the movie but anyways um, that's sort of where I was going with it let me ask you let me ask you some other some other questions Um, expert reports Right. Uh, I have some attorneys that put a tremendous amount of emphasis onto the reports. Right, it has to be structured a certain way. You know, you you don't want to give too much information, but you want to give enough information to be able to avoid a daubert motion. Right. So before before we go into really talking about the reports. Can you talk about what a Daubert motion is and and why that is is something that anyone who either is or is thinking about becoming a testifying expert needs to understand?
2: Sure. So, you know, a Daubert motion allows, uh, whether it's in in the criminal context or the civil context, uh, you know, either side to challenge uh, whether or not a particular expert should actually be permitted to testify at all. And it's it's really, it's the the, the series of Supreme Court cases that establish this standard, um, you know, all kind of spring forth from the idea that while expert testimony can and often will be helpful and appropriate, that the court needs to perform certain gatekeeping functions uh, so that you don't have experts essentially going up onto the stand and either spouting up made up junk science, uh, you know, for example, that will then improperly influence the jury uh, or to get up and start testifying in areas which perhaps are not improper areas, but as to which they do not actually have the proper qualifications, backgrounds, etc., cetera, to uh, offer the types of opinions that they want to offer. And so, you know, it's a multi-factor test, uh, you know, under uh, the Supreme Court precedent and Dalbert and its progeny. Uh, where you can challenge an expert on, you know, kind of either of those two broad buckets of bases, and say, you know, this this is not testimony that can be offered. And um, you know, I think you and I were chatting a little bit before we hopped on the air. Uh, you know, it's obviously a big deal when a, a Dalbert motion comes in from an expert perspective. Um, and you know, uh, I I think it, Dalbert motions practice is particularly fascinating. I will say in the criminal context. Um, where uh, I will say now that I'm on the defense side, uh, you know, I I do think prosecute prosecution Dalbert uh, motions are treated differently than defense Dalbert motions are treated. Right, uh, and and I just got the name of the movie in my head.
1: Isn't mm. that crazy how that happens? Runaway yeah. jury.
2: Ah, yeah. oh, that's right. That's right.
1: Runaway jury. That was it. it, it if you haven't seen the movie, I'm not going to spoil it. It's an older movie I think it's from the 90s and it was it was an excellent excellent, excellent. movie great twists. Hackman I think was in his prime back then uh, as far as acting because uh, it was right around the time he did um, uh, Crimson Tide with Denzel Washington but no, that's a great um, you know yeah so you know the the, Daubert, the Daubert motions and, and it's so funny because Ron Chapman and I got into a conversation is you know I, I would say Dauber motion and mm-hmm. he would say to me why is it that you people all south of the Mason Dixon line call it Dauber and I said I you know because I, I guess we can I don't know but your French at heart comes down to yeah the French at heart <laughs> but you know um but it is daubert motion and no. um you know uh it, it's interesting because as as my reputation has grown in the expert witness community you know i get calls from a lot of law firms where i've had no exposure to them they don't really know me other than maybe they listened to a podcast or they read a blog post or you know they were referred to me by other counsel and And the first question after we get past the pleasantries is is Have you ever had a Daubert Daubert motion filed against you? And, you know, after having that question asked so many times, I, I started thinking about why is that so important? I mean, to the point where it's literally the first question every single attorney asks. And is it fair to say, Colin, that if, A expert has had a Daubert motion filed against them that in the future, their ability to testify on a subject identical or similar to that, or even to testify in cases at all, could be highly problematic for either the prosecution or the defense. If they've had a, if that experts had a successful Daubert motion filed against them.
2: Yeah, I mean, certainly, Uh, you know, if, if you've got a determination from the court, really in any context, but this is certainly a a prime way that it can happen. That is essentially making a determination that a person cannot offer um, expert, credible testimony on a particular area. That's a big deal. Uh, You know, I mean, the the cross. Sort of writes itself in all future cases from that point forward, uh, and you know, sort of irrespective of whether the ruling was actually correct or not is the problem uh, because look, you know, judges don't always get this stuff right, and sometimes expert testimony, uh, you know, is can be a little tricky, you know, where you're pushing the envelope, it's a close call, that kind of thing. Um, you know, I, I remember a time when I was a prosecutor where uh you know i was assisting a friend of mine who was who was actually handling the the trial but i was helping him get ready for actually a dalbert motion uh and a hearing uh with respect to a defense witness in that context you know and and there dalbert motion was ultimately successful that person who was actually a psychologist uh was uh precluded from testifying I don't know that like there, it might not have been as damaging for that person, though, because it was really more this subject matter area that you want to get into, I've now determined, isn't going to be helpful to the jury, right? But if it's anything other than that, and where it's really looking at the expertise and the credibility of the witness himself, it's just brutal. Uh, You know, I had a matter where we got involved in actually post-trial and conviction, where we had a really big fight about relevant conduct. This is a bad, bad uh, doctor prescribing case. And it was heavily sort of expert focused. We had three days of expert testimony uh, with two experts up on the stand for eight, 10 hours at a time. And, wow. you know, just was able to get multiple counts thrown out and none of the relevant conduct considered for sentencing in part because we just savaged the government's witness that they put up, um, where, uh, you know, we were able, amongst other things, to draw out that, you know, a couple of ALJs out in California had found his testimony not to be credible in a variety of contexts, um, one of which was sort of quasi-Dalbert-like. And that is just really powerful stuff to use against somebody.
1: Yeah. It, it, now, let me ask you this question. So for for a Daubert motion to be filed, it's typically done right after or as soon as possible after discovery. Right. It needs to be prior to any trial dates being put on a calendar. Am I correct on that?
2: Yeah, you want to cue these things up. I mean, you know, motions practice is going to be a little bit unique, you know, jurisdiction to jurisdiction. But as general, rule, what you just said is spot on. Uh, you know, yeah. once you've got everything <laughs> in that, you know, would be necessary to uh, bring the motion, go ahead and bring it. Uh, you know, if you think you've got a colorable argument, you don't want to uh, anger the court by sitting on it and make, making them feel like you're sandbagging them.
1: Uh, so, you know, you, you remind me of a, a recent case that I was in and um. They filed. Now they. I don't know if it was a true Daubert motion, but it was a motion in limine because they weren't trying to exclude me, mm -hmm. but they were trying to exclude a segment of my testimony that had to do with process for uh, the Centers for Medicare and Medicaid Services and the Office of Inspector General, and um, it was a motion in limine, and the judge in the case denied their motion and um when we were in trial um Um, as my testimony was going on the prosecutor in this case objected and wanted all of my you know testimony that i had just spoken to with respect to how audits are initiated by the Centers for Medicare and Medicaid Services. You know, what are the responsibilities from the Office of Inspector General to conduct statistical sampling and, you know, sample framing and extrapolations and stuff like that? And the judge, and and tell me if I'm wrong on this, Colin, but the judge said to the prosecutor in this case, I have already ruled that Mr. Weiss is an expert. For the third time, I am explaining to you, and I am now cautioning you, he is an expert. How bad is that that's for weird. either? <laughs> yeah. I mean, I mean, and, and that's an, and that's literally in the transcript where the judge says to him. I have explained to you that Mr. Weiss has actually trained auditors from the Centers for Medicare and Medicaid Services. He has consulted with the Office of Inspector General. He has worked with them to, I mean, literally, he was citing, he was literally reading my CV in front of the jury back to the prosecutor.
2: I mean, it's, it's just tremendous. I mean, you couldn't. You couldn't have asked for a better circumstance for your side uh, you know where you now have a, a the judge who who the jury sees as the authoritative you know neutral objective party vouching for the range and and strength of your expertise I mean that's just phenomenal um, and it, you know I think it 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 relates to another point that I always think is really important Sean with experts um, you know like I'm smart enough to know that, like I am not as smart as you on any issue that you would be testifying in front of, right? I'm just not. I'm never gonna know as a lawyer in the same way that you know, um, you know, the topics that you cover. And so lawyers sure. generally should have some humility about you know what their role is. And it's almost never a good idea. If you've got somebody who clearly kind of clears the bar as an expert, to um, to really fight about those credentials in that way, because you're going to get a judge that's going to say something like like you just did. They should have known better. But I don't. I'm not a big fan of arguing with the opposing expert generally when I have them up on cross. It's just dumb. I mean, to me, cross examination of an expert is for me to extract as best I can, the, you know, helpful nuggets that the any credible expert is going to have to give me to maintain their own credibility, uh, you know, right. set, set up what other whatever other admissions that I'm going to need so that my expert can use them, because that is a smart person who can perhaps wrangle and win with the opposing expert. Uh, and then to set up my argument to the jury later, where I don't have the expert, who actually has the ability to counter me. And so, um, you know, to me, if you're doing it right, you're not trying to set up those big Perry Mason moments with an expert. That's almost never going to happen unless the opposing side has picked somebody who's just utterly terrible, in which case you're going to win anyway. Um, You know, it's all about getting the stray pieces that in the moment the jury may not even appreciate are really important. But that is basically your your cooking ingredients for when you then uh, you know put your argument together at the end and you weave in your own expert's testimony.
1: You know, it reminds me of another movie. <laughs> I like movies. It reminds me of another scene in a movie, uh, A Few Good Men, when mm-hmm. Demi Moore objects and yes. the judge says overruled, and she says, "Judge, we strenuously object." <laughs> I mean, it, it, you know, when you do that. Doesn't it show fear to a judge or jury that the testimony that's being given by the expert is damaging or damning, if you will, to your case when you when you continuously object and then you, quote, unquote, strenuously object?
2: Absolutely. It's uh, lawyers all love that movie. Right. And that's that's one of the great scenes yeah. for sure. Yeah. Um, because if if it's not going your way, why do you want to highlight it more? You're absolutely right. Yeah, I am a big believer yeah. that juries generally don't like attempts to keep information from them. Um, just at at a kind of a basic fundamental level. Now, obviously, you got to make your record. Sometimes there's circumstances where there's just no other uh, thing to do than to object. Uh, but you got to be smart about it. I, you know, it's not just about the rules of evidence. Uh, you know, 100%. And, and I th- I think, you know,
1: there's so many things that you said in, you know, what you were talking about just a moment ago that resonate with me, you know, which is, look, you, you know, know, attorneys, attorneys, if they are masters of their craft, they are all about procedure, right? Because that's really what attorneys are. It's It's all about procedure. It's about rules of evidence. It's about, you know, painting a picture, telling a story. And and putting forward the most credible witnesses to be able to either lead to a guilty verdict if you're a prosecutor, or to an acquittal if you're a defense counsel. Um. Let me let me ask you this, Con. You know what, in your mind, are some of the dos and don'ts of uh-huh. your subject matter experts' reports? How? How critical are reports to you and and what is it that you want reports to do? Not necessarily say, but what what is it that you want reports to do?
2: Sure. Well, you know, so I'm I'm a risk averse guy. Right. So I'm going to start with, you know, put it put it in Michael Jordan terms. Uh, You know, Michael Jordan was a tremendous competitor. Uh, but he was driven not so much by a desire to win as a fear of losing. And I, so I, I'm going to start with the negatives from a report perspective. That's awesome, man. I um, love that. I absolutely yeah. love that. Yeah. Uh, you know, reports are are really vital in part because if you don't do them right, they can create problems and they can do harm to your case where you may have the better of the argument. You may have a person that's really good on the stand. And where you know you don't pay the appropriate amount of attention to the summary, you know, in a criminal case that you're going to put together, uh, and all of a sudden you you sort of give back all of the good stuff that you were prepared to get out of the expert. And let me give you like one small example. Um, so again, when I was on the defense side of here, um, you know, I I had an opportunity to um, you know deal with a, a government expert who was a very impressive person, uh, you know, from, uh, an experience perspective, had a really good Vita, uh, was a good testifying expert. It testified in a bunch of different cases, uh, but who was actually pretty sloppy with the reports that he put together. And I don't, I mean, sloppy, like literally down to the level of like formatting errors, occasionally, uh, typos. Uh, but the guy would also, you know, plug and chug with templates, basically, you know, for the cases that he was doing. And, you know, look, there's nothing inherently wrong with reusing, um, you know, common information uh, where um, you are talking about the same topic again and again, but you need to be really attentive to it because, um, you know, in, in the particular case that I was dealing with, one of the issues that that person was going to talk about was actually the importance of having um, clear accurate and thorough, uh, medical records, put being put in place by a licensed medical professional. And boy, if you aren't just leading with your chin, if you're talking about how somebody else's records are sloppy, somebody else's records are not thorough. And then all of a sudden, um, you know, again, not even really in an argumentative kind of way, just walking the person through, um, you know, the 80% of the words in the first 10 pages of their report that are absolutely, absolutely verbatim from another report that I got my hands on from a previous case that the person had done. Right. And again, I'm not arguing with the guys, not just good. would you agree that this was copied and pasted from this report into this report? Right. Not um, good. And you know, you actually didn't change the name. From one report to another here that's not actually a patient that's relevant to this case is it right and so you know instead of getting an opportunity to really highlight uh you know some of the potentially powerful arguments that that uh he wanted to make in that case we instead spent a ton of time talking about you know some some errors uh, some really basic errors in a report that uh, you know, with a little bit of time and attention, never should have happened in the first place. Um, right. But you know, I think that's um, you know a, a really basic thing, but still an important thing because you see it even in high level you know experts and the like. Um, you know, the other thing I guess I would say um, is just as you're building your your summary or your report, um, I, I like to think I'm somewhere in the middle. You know, I, I don't think it has to be at completely bare bones. Um, but you know, at least in the criminal context, I probably don't push people to put together as extensive of a report as you would. And you know, in a civil case where Rule Twenty Six requires yeah. it, um, you know, I don't ever want a judge to feel like we have skimped, such that you know she or he, um, you know, um, would look at it and say you're you're trying to be too cute by half. So that's kind of my standard. But if yeah. I if we get to a point where there's enough in there. Where it's clear what the opinion is going to be, it's clear what the basis for the opinion is, um, you know, and I would feel comfortable putting my, you know, credibility on the line explaining why that's sufficient to a judge. Then, then that's usually what I'm aiming for.
1: Yeah, I just had I just yeah. had two attorneys say to me the other day, report is phenomenal. I just need you to back some of this information out. Mm-hmm. Just give me these parts. Because I want to slay them with your testimony on the stand. But yep. if you at least set me up with this without giving me all of that, man, I, I, I want them backpedaling sure. is basically what they said to me. And, yeah. and listen, you know, again, this this is counselor's case. And my job is to help the counselor put forward the best possible case that he or she is able to put forward you know without you know putting me into a bad situation right to where i'm going to look foolish on the stand um last question that i last question that i have for you um in your mind how important is, is it? it when looking at an expert witness that they have done work on both sides of the aisle meaning they've worked for prosecutors or plaintiffs and they've been on the defense side how how important is that
2: if you can do it it's obviously fantastic um i mean you know a a couple of years ago when i was kind of fresh back out into private practice after having been in government for for a number of years um you know i was able to poach in a case um you know a, a previous exclusively government witness. Onto one of my defense cases, and uh, you know, I did it in part because I knew the person, felt really strongly about the case, thought that I had sort of an angle to convince this person who generally wasn't all that interested in doing defense work that this should sort of be the exception for her, uh, and that she should come on board. And you know, ultimately, somewhat surprisingly to me, we were able to do that, and. Uh, You know, that was actually powerful enough. This was pre-indictment. We were already thinking about experts, right? And that was powerful enough where I actually decided to uh, bring that person in with me to uh, a meeting uh, with uh, this particular U.S. attorney's office. It wasn't my local one, but... um, And that person had such credibility with the government as a result of that that they actually didn't indict the person at the end of the day. And I could have brought somebody else in who was equally as good on substance, and they just wouldn't have had the same impact. And I think the same thing is true when you get to a jury. There's no doubt it's a plus, all else equal. Now, everything else is never equal, but all else equal, if you can demonstrate that a person has done some work on both sides of the divide. Um, you know, I don't know about you, Sean, but I think I think it gets harder to do that as time goes by. Um, yeah,
1: I am. You know, I am finding myself. It's 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 really interesting. Um, I I'm just gonna say this, but you can obviously you know uh, comment comment on it as well. Um, I think it's critical prior to a trial. And especially prior to cross-examination of a witness that you as the attorney know that witness's background mm-hmm. is that is that a fair statement
2: oh yeah oh yeah absolutely
1: I I had a I had a a, a case um this year beginning of this year as a matter of fact uh where the prosecutor in a case said to me you know Mr Weiss you know, isn't it clear that you are a hired gun for the defense? And I I paused for a minute, and I said, I'm not following you. He said, well, everything you do is for the defense. So, I mean, you know, based on your hourly rate for, you know, non-testimonial work, you know, your – rates for deposition and testimony aren't you just purely a hired gun you know to say whatever you know they need you to say and and i paused for a minute and you know and and, you know again this goes back to knowing your audience right the judge or the jury as to what you can get away with you know and I, i responded with you know counselor i find that number one highly offensive that you would make an Accusation against me that I am only in this for the money. I think that shows you don't know anything about me. But number two, no, I am not a hired gun for the defense. I have worked on a number of key tam cases on behalf of the government. I think, Colin, you and I actually are uh, working on a key tam together, if I'm not mistaken, right?
2: Yeah, we, we both have that experience, you know, on both sides of these types of things. Yeah.
1: Yeah. And you know, for me, you know, I, I it was it was kind of it, it was not kind of. It was extremely offensive because, you know, no. I, I, again, I said to them, you know, take a closer look at my CV. I've been retained by, by you know, um, um attorney generals of different states. I'm actually an investigator for state medical boards. <laughs> I've trained auditors at the government, at the special investigative units, at RACs, at UPICS, at former ZPICS. I mean, is it not critical, or is it just plain foolish, to ignore the background of an expert prior to cross-examining them? I I, I know it sounds kind of like a stupid question, but if that kind of stuff didn't happen, I, I don't think I'd ask the question.
2: Yeah, no, I, you're spot on, of course, and you know it, it creates instant credibility. Uh, you know, with jurors, when they do sort of hear that stuff, they like it. It's even better when it comes out on cross, frankly, uh, you know, as opposed to sort of on direct. Uh, another good example, I'll just say, of why you don't argue with experts either. I mean, it's very stupid. Uh, you know, the guy would have been much, much wiser, uh, you know, still couldn't really do it to you because of your background, but would have been much wiser just to, you know, point out that out of your last 10 testifying expert representations, X number were, you know, on the defense side. Of that, and then he could have made whatever argument he wanted at close. But um. so, so, you
1: know, what was really interesting about that, Colin, I, I love that. See, this is why I love having conversations with you. Um, this actually came up and you know what happens, especially with people that start to get name recognition mm-hmm. in the expert testimony uh, field in, in specific areas like fraud, waste and abuse, like what I focus on, right. You know, coding, billing, documentation requirements, clinical standards, all that kind of stuff, you know, statistical sampling. Um, you know, so, so that actually came up in a case where they said, you know, looking at your CV, sure. I see you've done cases on behalf of the government, but wouldn't you agree that 80% 80% of the casework that you have done is on the defense side. And my response was, that is correct. And if you would like a reason why, it's because defense counsel tends to move faster than prosecutors. Because once a defense counsel learns that there's a pending indictment or a pending adverse action against their client, they are absolutely emphatically aggressive about securing the most recognizable and most credible expert witnesses and unfortunately sometimes the prosecution moves at a snail's pace so is it my fault that the defense counsel gets to me before the prosecutors do because i'll tell you in a number of cases where i was on the defense side the Prosecutors reached out to me three months after I was already retained by defense counsel. Does that make me a hired gun? I don't
2: think so. Yeah, it's just not a good line of attack against a, a, a guy like you, Sean. Uh, generally, yeah. and uh, that's uh, that's exactly why we always want you on our side if we can get you.
1: Well, I I appreciate that. So let me ask you: Are there any questions? Is there any aspect that I have overlooked in? you know, my questioning of you, counselor, regarding, you know, experts in trials?
0: I think,
2: I think the only thing that I would just emphasize, we already touched upon it a little bit, but, um, yeah, you know, just, just be smart, um, whether you are the testifying expert or you are the lawyer, thinking about how you are going to utilize experts in your case. Um, you know, the worst thing you can try and do is to overextend your expert right i think as a lawyer you have to be a good steward and protector of your expert because it's the lawyer's job to fit that expert into their larger case and um you know if you're doing it right as a lawyer you're never going to put your expert into a where you're asking them to stretch or to opine on things that they're not comfortable with or that um, you know get too far afield of where their expertise really lies and you know if you need two experts not one go get two and you know if what you really need to get to the jury is part expert testimony part something else don't put your expert position where they're stretching to make that point i think that's
1: such great advice great information All right. Well, that's going to bring us to the end of this Compliance Guy episode. Uh, I cannot thank my good friend and my special guest, Colin Callahan of Flannery Gergalus, for joining me today on this episode to talk about expert witnesses in trials and what counselors should and are looking for from their experts. Colin, thanks again for hanging out with me for just a little while.
2: Thanks again. And uh, most importantly, hope you and yours have a great Thanksgiving, Sean.
1: All right. And to all of our listeners, thank you all so much for tuning in, logging on, and hanging out with me each and every single day during the week as I get to talk about my favorite topics, compliance and health law. I wish each and every single one of you, and to Colin and his family, I wish you the very best, happiest, healthiest Thanksgiving. I'll be back next week when we get into the final couple of days of the month of November. We have some great things planned for our coding and compliance roundtable on Monday, our hashtag Terry Tuesday episode. And then we are right into the month of December with a great lineup of special guests and topics for us to cover. All right. Until next time, y'all be good to yourself, but more importantly, be good to each other. Take care.
0: You've been listening to The Compliance Guy. Sean has been doing this for 28 years. He holds 10 national board certifications. He's a partner and the Vice President of Compliance for Doctors Management, LLC. He's a subject matter expert in federal court. He's lectured at the most prestigious institutions. He's engaged with members of Congress in both chambers. So what we're saying is he's qualified? We hope you've enjoyed the show. Make sure to like, rate, and review. And we'll be back soon. But in the meantime, you can find us on social media at The Compliance Guy. See you next time on The Compliance Guy.